welcome back to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I am your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto, and on this show, we talk about beauty by hand, old world style, and ancestral traditions, all in a straight talk manner with minimal spiritual woo-woo. I call these spiritual conversations for the rest of us. So glad you're here for episode three of season two in this inaugural solo episode. I had the idea to do these solo episodes since last season and I'm really pumped to be getting around to it in season two. My vision for these episodes is just to take maybe half an hour or so and do a deep dive into a topic that I think will really resonate with all of you mostly based on books I've read that I think you'll really enjoy and just kind of pull out the major topics that I find resonated most with me and I think will with you and just talk about them, sending you off throughout your week with some really nice nuggets of knowledge and inspiration and just things to kind of chew on and think about as you go throughout your days. Before we begin, I do want to now take this moment to talk about Dry Farm Wines, my partner for season two, and it's the perfect partner for this season where the theme is home. And we're talking about up-leveling our homes, really stocking our pantries and our tables and our spirits with high quality goods that really click with our values. Dry Farm Wines sources some of the best organic biodynamic wines throughout the world and they ship it right to your doorstep. Now, it's a subscription membership. I've been a member for several years now. I love these wines. That's why I'm so inspired to tell you about them. You can choose six wines or 12 wines in your shipment. You can get a shipment every month. You can get a shipment every three months. So if you don't drink that much wine, you can do a six bottle shipment, but set it to every three months. So really in essence, you're getting two bottles per month sent to you all at once. Now, the reason I love these wines is because they're all natural. It's just grapes and nature turning that beautiful fruit into wine. There are no additives, there are no chemicals, there are no no dyes, and best of all, there is basically no sugar, no residual sugar. Each bottle of Dry Farm Wines has less than a gram of sugar for the entire bottle. It's pretty simple. They don't add extra sugar. Believe it or not, the bottles you pick up for 10 bucks or even more than that at the supermarket or at the liquor store are loaded with extra sugar, among other things that are really not good for you or for the environment. The low sugar content is the main reason why I initially fell in love with dry farms. I try to eat healthy, I try to take care of myself, and I had to kind of put a hold on drinking wine because I would just set back all of the hard work I'd put into taking care of myself by ingesting that much sugar in a glass of wine. You don't have to worry about that with dry farm wines. They're all natural, they're so tasty, and they have a great customer service, 
platform along with a wonderful app where you will learn so much about wines. You can mix up your shipment, get a couple bottles of white, couple bottles of bubbly, some rosé, some red. This will really expand your wine drinking horizon and teach you a lot more about how wines are grown. And at the same time, you're supporting these small family vineyards throughout the world. And I know that that's something you really care about. These are old world wines grown in an old world way and they have that rich, beautiful old world taste. I'm excited to share that I have a link created specifically for Bella Figura listeners. That link is dryfarmwines forward slash Bella Figura. And if you use my link, you will get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines, one of their beautiful sourced wines for just a penny in your first shipment. Dry Farm Wines forward slash Bella Figura. And I will be sure to link it in the show notes. Please check out their wines. I really hope you join because I am going to be preaching about dry farm wines for the rest of the season. And I'd really love for you to not only listen, but be experiencing what I'm talking about. All right, let's jump into our first solo episode here. I'm starting with a good one with Alice Waters. We are what we eat, a slow food manifesto. For those of you who may not know, Alice Waters is an American chef. She's a restaurateur and she's also a an author. She's published several books. We Are What We Eat is her latest. She is pretty famous for basically pioneering the farm to table movement in this country. Her restaurant Chez Panisse in California started that whole movement. That's the way she served food, and she's been a really big advocate of this idea that we should be eating locally, that we should be eating organically, and really taking care of our communities and our environment when we sit down to eat our meals. I really enjoyed this book. I'm going to break it down into what I took away as the major points. The overarching discussion that Waters is having is she's basically talking about the fast food culture that we live in. So she's taking what you know you might consider an industry or a type of food and expanding its meaning to basically encompass our entire society. What I found really compelling was the fact that as I as I read more and more, I realized that fast food culture and its quote unquote values had seeped into my own thoughts and behavior, which was a little surprising because I don't eat fast food. My, I don't feed fast food to my son. It's just not appetizing to me. It just doesn't do it for me. If I'm going to kind of have a quote unquote junk food, I'm going to go for, you know, a totally different route than McDonald's. It's just not my thing. And I cook so much. I'm pretty conscious about the ingredients I use. So it did kind of come as a surprise to realize that this ethos is so embedded in our society. It's just in the air. We breathe it in and we don't even know it. Waters talks about how our society has been impacted by this fast food culture. And I'll start us off here with a quote from the book. The fast food industry certainly wants us to believe that all the laborious work of cooking is drudgery. Indeed, that cooking is just that, work. 
so they can sell us their labor-saving products. And they've been very successful at convincing us. We have become more and more impatient when we choose what to cook. We want it as easy and simple as it can possibly be. If we're going to try to cook something at all, to relieve us of the work of cooking, enterprising companies have produced countless gadgets and packaged foods over the past 60 years to streamline the process of cooking at home. So she goes on to talk about what the tenets of fast food culture are, basically convenience, speed, availability, and a disregard for beauty. And I'm going to touch on all of those as we go through this episode here. But I just want to break down that quote and lay out the foundation for this conversation. In essence, fast food culture has taken the values our ancestors cherished and lived by, mainly that doing things for yourself, self-sufficiency, feeding your family, spending time in the kitchen, growing your own food, you know, taking that time to really be connected to what you eat and also to be connected around the table. Fast food culture has taken those values and completely upended them, putting in their place values that erase all of those traditions. So what do we value now? Ease. Everything has to be easy. The easier, the better. Easy is the best. So if you have that mentality in your head, then it's going to be really hard for you to sit in your kitchen for two hours and cook a meal because you're trained to think that that is a complete waste of time. Why would you put in that much energy when you can simply go to the supermarket and pick it up off the shelf, saving that time? Now, it seems logical when we think about it, but if you step back and almost detach yourself from that mindset, you realize it's only logical because we've bought into the idea that cooking is a waste of time. So what Waters is asking us to reconsider is this entire outlook on not just cooking, but the value we place on things being easy and quick and available. And she's asking us to take that and upend it yet again and weigh it against these older traditions and the kind of things that we know in our gut should be valued more, like cooking, like sitting around, slowing down, taking the time to eat with the people we love, that bonding, that community. And she's asking us to reconsider the two sets of values and see which one really in your gut should be on top. So basically this fast food culture, it's just pervasive. It's not just food. It's not just corporations. It's seeped into every aspect of our lives. To start, I'm going to talk about convenience. She mentions an article by a writer named Tim Wu in a New York Times article titled The Tyranny of Convenience. And I'm going to quote from that article because I found it but pretty compelling, especially on this topic of convenience. And Tim Wu, the author, writes, in the developed nations of the 21st century, convenience, that is, more efficient and easier ways of doing personal tasks, has emerged as perhaps the most powerful force shaping our individual lives 
and our economies. The most powerful force. This is something I think we know deep down, but when, of course, with, with anything, when somebody articulates it so well, it really just flips a switch. You know, a light bulb kind of, kind of went off in my head when I read that. If convenience is the most powerful force shaping our lives, then we really need to look at it. And we really need to examine how our actions and our choices are being influenced by a force we're not even aware of. So Wu also goes on to write, as Evan Williams, co-founder of Twitter, recently put it, convenience decides everything. Convenience seems to make our decisions for us. Trumping what we like to imagine are our true preferences. And he goes on to basically say that he prefers to brew his own coffee, but Starbucks is convenient. Starbucks is easier. So he skips brewing his own coffee, the, the quote-unquote laborious process of brewing your own coffee at home, and he opts for the convenience of going to Starbucks and just getting his coffee handed to him. Now, in essence, again, in this environment, there's nothing really crazy about that, right? What's the big deal, we could say. But if we can separate ourselves from that force that's pushing us to choose easy and convenient over what we prefer, over what really resonates with us and what really makes us feel good and alive, whoa, it really gets a lot deeper because we realize we are being driven by a force that does not align with our true values. And then maybe we can step back even further and wonder why we feel empty, depressed, anxious. We are the most depressed and anxious society in human history. Yet, we have all these modern conveniences at our fingertips. I really think this conversation is a key to unwinding that, and I think it's a key to understanding it. Convenient is not always better. Easy is not always best. Surprisingly, that's a radical statement in our culture. You're not supposed to think that way. You're not supposed to think, the more work I put into something, the more rewarding it is for me. But we're programmed to work. We're programmed to put hard work into things. And when so much of that is stripped from us, life starts to feel empty. It feels like fluff. And we don't want fluff, we want experience. We want meaning, we wanna feel like we are interacting with life. And that's really one of the things that Waters points to. So convenience not only robs us of doing things we actually truly want to do, for instance, in that example by Tim Wu, brewing our own coffee. It robs us of experience. And the easiest example is if you're not creating a meal that is going to be memorable, for instance, with your family sitting around the table because you're just opting to go to the supermarket, grab something real quick, eat it in the car, and move on to the next thing, you're removing experiences from your life existence. The next thing is who profits from that? Well, in the example of the coffee, obviously Starbucks profits. Starbucks 
and other corporations like it profit from you absorbing a outlook on life that says, I don't have time to brew my own coffee. Brewing my own coffee is too much work. I'm going to go and buy a $5 coffee every single day. (laughs) What would happen to a company like Starbucks if all of us decided that we could roast our own beans at home, grind them at home, make coffee at home, sit at the table calmly with our families, maybe even a book, and drink our coffee right there in our own kitchens. Obviously, fast food culture and even the companies that create all these convenience gadgets, they have a stake in us buying into this outlook, hook, line, and sinker. Wu also writes, as task after task becomes easier, the growing expectation of convenience exerts a pressure on everything else to be easy or get left behind. We are spoiled by immediacy and become annoyed by tasks that remain at the old level of effort and time. When you can skip the line and buy concert tickets on your phone, waiting in line to vote in an election is irritating. This is especially true for those who have never had to wait in lines. So in essence, we are being trained And especially, I'm afraid, the younger generations who have never lived without these conveniences, we are being bred, we are being trained to no longer have the patience for anything that requires a little extra work, a little extra time, and a little extra patience. If you follow that line of thought down the line, things get really scary. This past year and a half, has really shown us that the supply chains we rely on, the restaurants we rely on, these entire industries that we have built our lives around are not a given, and they could literally fall apart in the blink of an eye. If we are raising generations of people who do not know how to do anything with their own hands, or even more so lack the industriousness and the strength that our ancestors had, to do things with their own hands, we are in serious trouble. I just want to take a second to talk about our ancestors and previous generations to kind of highlight what I'm trying to get across here. Think about your grandparents. Think about your great-grandparents. If you sat down to talk to them, would they have had a mentality that went something like easier is the entire point of life? Anything that's easy is preferred. Anything that is convenient is what you should choose. Of course not. In fact, their entire mentality was completely different because the fast food culture hadn't yet invaded our society, our spirits, our minds, our homes. So those two value systems were flipped, right? Hard work, an attribute. Self-sufficiency, an attribute. Patience, strength, attributes. Now we're living in a time where it's the opposite. Ease, preferred. Don't work hard, preferred. Fast, most preferred of all. You see what I'm getting at? These are value systems and we are being fed something that we're not even really aware of. So Waters is 
asking us to reassess this idea of convenience and to opt for experience over convenience and to opt for being in harmony with nature over convenience. One thing that I really, really took in in her discussion was the idea that convenience and speed and availability really rob us of experience and really rob us of beauty and of being in harmony with the world around us. They're just incompatible. Nature is not convenient. Nature is not easy. It asks and demands a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of energy. So you, you can't have a convenience culture and also have a culture that's in alignment with the earth. You can't have a culture of availability and have a culture that appreciates beauty on a deep level. And I'm going to get into that in a moment here. Convenience culture makes us into people who think there should be no difficulty in our lives. And when there is difficulty, and I am guilty of this, this is what I mean by light bulbs were going off in my head, we feel angry, we feel resentful. It shouldn't be this way. Things should not be this hard. Why do we think that way? Because we've been inoculated with this idea that life should be easy. And so when it isn't, we feel angry, annoyed, and like we're doing something wrong. Like we have the human experience incorrect, which is just something earlier generations would not have thought. Waters goes on to say, with convenience, we tend to look for the easy way out, the mechanical way, the outsourced way. We begin to forget or don't want to learn how to do practical, challenging things like growing our own food. And what can I say? That process of growing a plant from seed is, by its very nature, inconvenient. You have to take care for the plant, water it, watch over it, and wait for all of that hard work to come to fruition. And still there are factors that are out of your control. Farmers markets are inconvenient too. You might not find what you're looking for when you go, and they're only open on certain days. She goes on to talk about her time in France and how much she loved that old world way of cooking and shopping you know, going to the market every day, seeing what was there, talking to the people who grew the, the produce you're about to use in your cooking, being out in the community. And that's a really perfect example of the difference between speed and convenience and experience. Going out, being at the market, talking to the people who are selling you what they've grown maybe stopping to have a coffee along the way, that's interacting with life. The alternative, maybe shooting to the supermarket, grabbing what you need, coming home, shoving it down your throat, that's robbing you of real experiences. Just something to really sit with and think about as we go throughout our days. She, of course, also talks about speed. We're a very fast society. The faster, the better. Gadgets of the 1950s, these time-saving appliances and car culture and drive-throughs contributed to the speeding up of our society. Quote, part of the fast food indoctrination is the idea that taking time for food is less important than anything else. As our lives sped up, cooking and eating were the first activities to be sacrificed. We love food and there's a reason. It brings us together. It fills us. It's 
it makes us feel good. It's this beautiful part of being human. And for generations, people would never have thought to sacrifice that beauty, that beautiful part of life. But with the invention of drive throughs so in 1950s America, post-World War II America, more families were able to buy cars. So, so then along with the boom in cars and people driving, fast food drive throughs started to pop up. Don't even have to get out of your car. Get in your car, your new toy, right, and drive, pick up a burger, eat it in your car, and move on. And of course now, especially in this country, we see that so many families rarely sit down to eat. Growing up, we basically had dinner together pretty much every single night. And Sundays, of course, for many Italian-Americans, a very big day. But there was a priority placed on cooking, growing our food, and sitting down to eat it together. That's what made us a family. That was a priority in our home. And it did slow us down, and it did value communion and experience over speed and convenience. It wasn't convenient for my mother to put in all that time to cook a meal for her family every day and to clean up. But the outcome of that, the bonding, the family time, the nourishment, both spiritual and physical, that was a value that she prized highly. So she knew that if she wanted that outcome, she had to put in that work. There was no easy way out. (laughs) She didn't buy into that ethos, and she still doesn't. And, of course, she's passed that on to me. But what I found so compelling about this book and why I wanted to do an episode about it was because so much of these fast food values I have absorbed without being aware of it. I have many times where I'm in the kitchen and I think, why am I doing this? I've been in here for an hour and a half. You know, what is the point? Is this really worth it? And that, that is me absorbing these, this value system without even being aware of it. Her conversation about availability, I also found very compelling. I am still trying to get my family to eat seasonally it's really not so easy to do in our society food is available all year round now I don't have time to get into the implications of that but Waters does get into it so if you want you can pick up her book and read more about it but um, basically growing having blueberries in December in in New York (laughs) requires them to be shipped from a place very far away from where I live and that has an impact on our environment, our economy, and our bodies in ways that just kind of ripple out. And of course, Waters is a very big proponent of eating locally, of eating organically, of knowing the people you're buying your fruits and vegetables from. So her conversations about availability is basically to say that if you're able to eat blueberries, for instance, all year long, you're missing out on the experience of savoring a blueberry in July or August, for instance, when blueberries are meant to be eaten in my region, especially. Forget about the fact, although it is very important, that a blueberry in its season tastes completely different than a blueberry shipped from California or Mexico or 
Peru to New York in December. You have to pick fruit way before it's ripe and ready in order to get it shipped and traveling on trucks, et cetera, to where you live. So really, it's twofold. You start taking blueberries for granted because you can eat them anytime. What's the big deal? And you're missing out on the real taste of savoring and treasuring a blueberry, knowing that it's fleeting, that you can only eat it for this short period of time. And so you better enjoy it because you're going to have to wait 10 more months before you can enjoy them again. Basically, availability has made us spoiled. Availability encourages us to take things for granted and to not be grateful for what we have when we have it, in its time, in its place, and in its season. Water says, quote, availability dulls us to what's right in front of us. It strips us of being in the moment. I find this really mind-blowing. It, it's something that I think I could have known or I knew instinctually, but again, having it articulated so well really gave me something to hold on to. So my son eats yogurt in the morning and usually I cut up blueberries and put them in there and I'm really trying this winter to not buy berries. Just add the blueberries that I jarred over the summer when blueberries are at their peak. I preserve them with honey so they're not as loaded with sugar as some jams will be and I just put a spoonful of that in his yogurt now. And I'm trying to just slowly but surely do my best as best as I can, as often as I can, to eat within the season and cook within the seasons. Because I also want to be in the moment. I also want to feel and experience what's right in front of me and not be numbed and gluttonous <laughs> and dulled to it. And I, I want to be grateful. Lastly, but of course not least, Waters really talks about beauty and how fast food culture, convenience and speed and availability has stripped us of beauty. It has, among with the other values I've mentioned so far, we've really been trained to think that beauty is expendable. It doesn't matter what you store something in it can be plastic, it can be ugly, as long as it's functional. And she says, beauty is the first thing to go in a fast food culture. It's the first thing to be sacrificed as if it is expendable and not something vital to our health and well-being. Quote, as we try to navigate and balance the concerns of our daily lives, beauty is pushed lower and lower on the list of priorities. In the hierarchy of needs, beauty is considered one of the least important. Fast food culture basically convinces us that speed and convenience are more vital to our lives than beauty. Quote, we have become so desensitized to the importance of beauty that we forget how vital it is to our happiness and our survival. Waters goes on to quote Wendell Berry, one of my favorite writers, my favorite essayists for sure, the American writer Wendell Berry, and he says, wherever ugliness has crept in, we have the first symptoms of exploitation and exhaustion. So the argument here is far from being unimportant. Beauty is, 
is not only something we enjoy and admire, it's a sign that things are healthy. It's a sign that a system is working appropriately. And you can see this pretty much everywhere. You can see it in a city that lacks beauty. You can see it in a human being that lacks beauty. You can see it in a home that lacks beauty. When things are ugly and falling apart and lacking beauty, we know instinctually something is wrong. Something has gone wrong. The system is failing. So beauty is its own entity, but it's also an outcome of vitality. It's also an outcome showing us, demonstrating that things are in harmony and working as they should be. Of course, not surprisingly, Waters insists that food and cooking and eating together is one of the simplest ways for us to reconnect with beauty. And I think if you look at a part of our society, this dominance on food photography and food cooking shows, we really like to admire those things and sit on our couch and watch them or sit on our couch and go through Pinterest and see them because it gives us something that we're lacking. We just have to take the next step and instead of just admiring them, get in the kitchen and do them for ourselves. Those kind of things, that hard work, that putting in the extra time, that putting in the extra effort will feed us spiritually. It will give our lives a richness and a depth that we need to survive. There's a reason when people cook something, they wanna take a picture of it and post it on Instagram. It's beautiful and we know it. And we're so proud of ourselves that we've created that beauty, that we've taken the time and put the energy in to cultivating something so nourishing and so beautiful. We feel that richness in our souls. So I want to sum up here and leave us with one more quote from Tim Wu's The Tyranny of Convenience. Embracing inconvenience may sound odd, but we already do it without thinking of it as such. As if to mask the issue, we give other names to our inconvenient choices. We call them hobbies, avocations, callings, passions. These are the non-instrumental activities that help to define us. They reward us with character because they involve an encounter with meaningful resistance. I love that, meaningful resistance. With nature's laws, with the limits of our own bodies, as in carving wood, melding raw ingredients, fixing a broken appliance, writing code, timing waves, or facing the point when the runner's legs and lungs begin to rebel against him. He's talking about challenges. He's talking about hard work. Such activities take time, but they also give us time back. They expose us to the risk of frustration and failure, but they also can teach us something about the world and our place in it. So let's reflect on the tyranny of convenience. Try more often to resist its stupefying power and see what happens. We must never forget the joy of doing something slow and something difficult. The satisfaction of not doing what is easiest. Hope you enjoyed that episode. I definitely think you got a lot to think about there. Please find me on Instagram and DM me. Let me know what you thought about this conversation. Let me know if any light bulbs went off, if you're going to institute any changes now in your life, or just in general, if you were inspired 
to just start the process of making some changes. You can find me on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. You can find me online at bellafigurapodcast.com. That's B-E-L-L-A-F-I-G-U-R-A podcast.com. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power.